30 through 56. If it's your first time, um, grab your Bible. We'll be in the ESV version. And uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Arrested. We've been going all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, and this is the passage during which Jesus is arrested at the end of our passage today. And um, I want to start the sermon today by, uh, by describing something that is, really, that is really common to humanity and, and the way that we think about us and God, and, uh, and something that we see very clearly in our passage today, and, uh, and that is the separation between us and God. Uh, that gap, that chasm is far bigger than we are aware of and far bigger than we are probably willing to admit. Uh, and what we typically do is we lower the heights of the holiness of God and we raise our own righteousness so that the gap between us and God in our minds is achievable to, uh, to get to God, right? So we think like, I'm, I'm, I've messed up, but I can like jump there by my deeds or, or I've got this, and we'll, we'll even see the I've got this mentality in our passage today. But what we're gonna see is um, the gap between us and the Lord is enormous. It's uncomfortably enormous. And um, maybe we, we fib a little or we live as if that chasm is just a gap. And in this last section, uh, among the last sections of Matthew 26, if we pay attention we're gonna see the sinless Jesus amidst guilty disciples, guilty religious leaders, and a guilty mob, all of that meaning humanity, and, and we're in that mix. I think so much of the time, our tendency is to, to, to place ourselves and identify ourselves with Jesus, and, and that's really, really good. We, we do have our identity on him in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's what conversion is, that's what baptism illustrates. But in this passage, we, we've got to identify with the people that are, are not Jesus, right? Understanding we're, we're with them, and we see our amazing Lord and Savior ministering to us and proceeding with this mission to go to the cross because he loves us, and it's the only way that we can be saved, all right? So, so here's the big idea today. The big idea is innocent Jesus did not resist arrest because he would pay for our guilt, right? Why didn't Jesus resist arrest? He was innocent, right? Innocent Jesus did not resist arrest because he would pay for our guilt. So as, as we think about this and as we enter this passage today, um, we recognize that, that those of us who are here today who are, who are saved, we're Christians, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are here today as sinners saved, right? That amazing hyphenated title. We're here today as sinners saved. And, and the question then is by whom? And the answer is Jesus Christ. And then the question is by what? And the answer is by him paying our penalty. And what we see in this passage is Jesus taking three more faithful steps toward the cross. All of them are difficult, but he's taking them. Why? Because he wants to pay our, our guilt. It's why he came. Okay, so, so here they are. Um, as we observe this passage, we're going to see as the cross gets closer for Jesus, our distance from God is more apparent. And that's one of the things we're going to see in this passage today. So, so here's the first point. Jesus was denied by the disciples. Okay, it's one of the steps Jesus had to take as he stepped toward the cross. Jesus was denied by the disciples. So look at verses 30 and 32 with me. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, 
That's just cool. They sang hymns together, right? And when they had sung a, camp, a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I want you to see two things in in these three verses. Um, One of them is the theology in these three verses, and one of them is the planned forgiveness in these three verses. So the theology here is they were singing it, right? I I don't know what hymn it was, but it was faithful to to Jesus and, and what he's about to do. Singing with his brothers would have no doubt encouraged him. And in this moment, Jesus knew that his disciples would deny him. He knew that they would scatter. He knew that he would be struck down and he knew that he would rise. He knew those four things. And throughout the entire cross and resurrection narrative, Jesus knows exactly what is going to happen right down to what each disciple would do. I think sometimes we think Jesus was just here and like receiving life, right? But he is the omniscient God who is powerful and capable. He knows everything that's happening and he's still taking steps forward toward the cross. Just remarkable. And I pray that that ministers to all of us. Jesus, knew, Jesus knows you. He knows what he needed to do and he proceeded knowing that he was the only way for us to be saved. So that's the theology. The second is the planned forgiveness. The planned forgiveness. Their denying Jesus that Jesus knew they would do would not be the end of their discipleship. Right? It was a terrible hiccup, but Jesus said, see you in Galilee after I rise. Do y'all notice that? He's like, listen, you're, you're gonna deny me and then I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise, but I'll see you in Galilee. That's our Lord. He knows we're gonna sin. He knows we sin. And, and we're thinking, oh no, everything's messed up. Like I didn't hold fast to Jesus. And we're realizing Jesus is holding fast to us. And we realize he is already scheduling the meetup for after we mess up. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. So I want you to think, do you, do you realize that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, planned forgiveness is your future? It's the wonderful thing in this passage that's embedded right in here. Planned forgiveness is your future. Jesus knows our sins, past, present, future, and he forgives them all. If you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, future. And not only does he forgive them, he's already got the next meetup scheduled. So, so as we come to Jesus in confession, we can know that he's right there with us still, right? We can know that he's, he's welcoming us back to him. Now, this doesn't mean to make us licentious with life. Like we're thinking, I might as well give in, right? He's gonna forgive me no matter what. I might as well just, I might as well just give in and Jesus will forgive me. Rather, it should make us recognize just how one and only Jesus is. And that the one and only temptation that we face is silly compared to relationship with him, all right? All right, so, so all of that we could capture from verses 30 through 32. It's happening. Jesus is explaining these things to the disciples and there could have been a theological application. There could have been a conversation about forgiveness, but Peter isn't thinking any of those things. Peter is hearing Jesus saying, you're gonna deny me. And Peter, rather than saying, true, you're omniscient, you're right. 
Peter's like, I got this, right? I got this. I'm not going to deny you. So here's verses 32 through 35. But after, uh, or verses 33 through 35, Peter answered him, though they all fall away. Just imagine Peter with his finger extended, looking at all the other disciples, right? Maybe both hands, and he's like, though they all fall away, right? And he's the guy, chest out, like, I got this. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Jesus said to him, Truly, meaning what he just said was false, right? Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. All right, so there's the omniscience, right? There's the detail. Jesus knows details. There's a rooster that's going to crow. That's how much I know about this. There's a rooster that's going to crow right after you deny me three times. And then Peter, hearing this again, omniscience of Jesus. This is Jesus. Peter's still like, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Bad moment to be a bandwagon follower of Peter, right? Bad moment. But it illustrates who we are. It illustrates that we naturally think we got this when really it's Jesus. That's the reason he came is because we don't got this. And we need the Lord to fill the gap. That's why he's here. And that's why Jesus is so patient in these moments, right? Uh, even, do you notice that Peter is denying Jesus twice before he even denies Jesus in the way that, P, that Jesus says Peter's going to deny Jesus? He denied that he would deny him, and then he denies him again that he would deny him. Three times, and then three times later that night, right? That, that's, that's how messed up we are. And Peter is, an, is a great disciple of Jesus. He's the first one to confess Jesus as the Christ. And so this illustrates who we are. And y'all, Peter was, Peter was the guy who was at the razor's edge of his emotions all the time, right? He was impulsive. He was the one that would just say whatever he was thinking, and he was kind of the ready, shoot, aim guy with his words. And it's very entertaining to read about Peter, and, but it's also very helpful for us to realize, I got some Peter in me, you know, right? And so, so we need to understand that that's who we are and who we tend to be. Peter is saying things and you just imagine him being like rationalizing and saying like, hey, I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. All of you guys want to say it. And then everyone else is saying like, yeah, and you're talking nonsense too, right? One of the amazing things about the New Testament and about the way the Lord transforms is seeing Peter develop in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. Um, As a disciple of Jesus, he gains all of the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And in this passage, you know what Peter didn't have? He didn't have self-control. But you know who changed the Lord? Who changed Peter? The Lord changed him. And he gained the fruits of the Spirit. And you see this man in the New Testament who now not only has self-control, but is able to capably communicate the word of God to other people. God has changed his life. So Peter went from a man without Christ to a man who knew Christ to a sinner transformed by Christ. And I just want to encourage you, transformation is possible. As we're looking at this passage with the heading, Jesus was denied by his disciples, I want you to hear that transformation is possible. Maybe you're here today and you are absolutely despairing about something. Transformation is possible. It's possible. And I want you to believe that. But you know what? Despair would tempt you to not believe that. That's what despair is, 
right? Transformation is possible. Maybe you're here today and you're just guilty as can be. Sin, unconfessed. And I want to tell you transformation is possible. Or maybe you're stuck. You're like, I don't know what to do next. I know I need to take a next step, but I don't know which one it is. And I want to encourage you. Transformation is possible with Jesus. Transformation is possible. Let him lead you. Let him care for you as you go, all right? So at this moment, zooming out back to the whole passage narrative, Jesus is, is heartbroken. He's heartbroken. He knows what's coming. He's gonna be denied by all of his disciples. He says in full truth, you're gonna deny me. And then, you know, Peter denies that. And so what did Jesus need to do? What was Jesus's next step? All that he knows he's gonna face, all that he's feeling, the denial of his friends that he's worked with for three and a half years, what does he need to do next? As he's stepping toward the cross, what's his next step? His next step was prayer. His next step was prayer. Jesus needed to pray from verses 36 through 46. I don't want that to be lost on us, that Jesus is taking steps toward the cross and one of those steps was a night of prayer. 36 through 46. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll talk about it. And Jesus, then Jesus went with him to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and praying, saying, prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not, not as I will, but as, as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the, see, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This passage 36 to 46 is one of the best places in the scriptures to see that Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% God, he's 100% man. And before we get into that, um, I just wanna walk through a couple of things about this passage that are helpful. The, the name of this garden, Gethsemane, means olive press, right? This is a, a garden of olive trees and, and just to consider that Jesus would be pressed for us and he is in this moment pressed with the pain he's going to face mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually is astounding. Literally, the name of the garden is what is happening to Jesus and what will happen to Jesus when he's on the cross, right? Um, the cup that's referred to multiple times in this passage means the cup of suffering, the cup of suffering. And it means particularly the cup of suffering on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. The disciples have been like, we'll drink the cup with you. He's like, you can't. Only I can drink this cup with 
you. Only Jesus could suffer death and atone for the sins of humanity. And, and then Jesus saying, let this cup pass from me. It shows his humanity. The cross would be unbearable, right? Not only was the cross a maniacal form of public execution that was slow and as excruciating as possible, it was, unbearable in, it was unbearable physically, but for Jesus, it was unbearable spiritually. It was unbearable mentally. It's unbearable emotionally. And no doubt, Jesus had seen crucifixions, right? Crucifixions were outside of the city of Jerusalem. As people enter the city, exit the city, walk around the city, it's on a hill. People can see it. It was purposed to say, hey, if you're a criminal, that's going to happen to you, right? Jesus isn't a criminal, but Jesus knows what a crucifixion is. He's seen it. He smelled it, he's felt it, but now he's about to feel it physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. He would be suffering in a way that no human has ever faced. So what did Jesus do? He prayed, he prayed. One of Jesus' steps to the cross was prayer. And as the prayer starts, he says, Father, your will be done. And I can't help but think back to Matthew 6 and the disciples saying, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see that you've got an amazing prayer life. Teach us how to pray. And he gives them this prayer outline, the Lord's prayer. And he starts and he says, Father. And then he's, like, he's out, out of that worship of who God is comes, I want to do your will, not my will. I want to sideline. I wanna, that, that's how we pray, like sideline my will. But Lord, I want to do your will. And so he's praying through the same way he has always prayed. And then out of his worship, of God the Father flowed doing God the Father's will and then came from God the daily bread of strength that he needed to rise up and meet his betrayer. And he prayed three times. He prayed three times. Three times he chose resolutely, your will be done. I think sometimes we're tempted to be like, I've prayed about it, I shouldn't pray about it again because that means I don't trust God. But when you're facing something and you're feeling something that you're still facing and feeling, you by all means can keep praying about the same things to the Lord. And it's not like Jesus ended his prayer here and didn't pray again until later on, right? It's, it, he's praying without ceasing. He's thinking about it. But this is a concentrated moment of prayer. And I want to encourage all of you, as you're facing things, as you're feeling things, go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, as he was facing things and feeling things, went to the Lord in prayer. And we have a great high priest who's been through these things, felt them and faced them, and is with us in them, all right? Jesus wants to hear our honesty about the agonies that we feel. He wants to, to interact with us about the emptinesses and the, and the despairs that we feel. He wants to interact with us about those. So, so what I wanna do now is just show you the, the God hyphen man of, of Jesus. 100% God, 100% man that's in this passage. And I wanna give you four of those each way. So, so we see the humanity of God, the God man, Jesus Christ in this passage. So here are the, here are the man ones, okay? 100% man. First is he was sorrowful. He was sorrowful. Jesus was nicknamed the man of sorrows. That's not a common nickname that we think about with Jesus. We think Emmanuel, we think like Christmas ones, and like, he was the man of sorrows. Why? Because he knew the depravity of mankind. He knew what he would need to face. So he's nicknamed the man of sorrows. Is that, is that a downer? No. It means that Jesus gets it. It means that Jesus gets it. When you're sorrowful about things, Jesus gets it. I, I relate to that. We relate to that. He's a man of sorrows, right? 
Second is Jesus needed fellowship. He needed fellowship. He's like, he's like, disciples, come with me into the garden. And then core disciples, Peter, James, and John, I need you to be with me even closer. And then Jesus goes even further. Jesus Christ needed fellowship in the garden. So, so two questions. One, who is your fellowship? Like in Christ Jesus. Not who you hang out with and like watch games with, but who's your fellowship? Who are you praying with? Who's in the word? Who knows you? Who's caring for you? And then second question is, are you good fellowship? Are you good fellowship? And then what does that mean? I'll just let you answer that. Are you good fellowship? Right? Real fellowship. Next, Jesus was scared of the pain. He was scared of the pain. And when scared, when you're scared, when I'm scared, we can say, Jesus, you were scared. Help. We can relate to him. He relates to us. The fourth one is Jesus got frustrated. Y'all see that in this passage, right? How many of y'all have ever been frustrated? I mean, what a dumb question. All of us have been frustrated, right? Right, Jesus is frustrated in this passage with the disciples. He's like, are you kidding me? You're asleep right now? Are you kidding me? Do you know what's happening? I've told you so many times that I'm gonna die on the cross, that I'm gonna be betrayed into the hands of sinners, that the chief priests, the very people that like preach about me are not getting it and they're gonna arrest me. Are you kidding me? You're sleeping? And they're like, we're tired, right? Right? But he didn't sin in his frustration. So next time you're frustrated, Jesus, help. You've been frustrated. Help. Help me be frustrated but not sin. Help me be frustrated and stay on mission like you did in the garden. All right, so those, those just relate to us as, as mankind, right? Jesus is 100% man. He faced and felt the things, same things that we feel. And then, and then here's where it gets really vertical, the 100% God. We see Jesus praying, and that is not our inclination apart from God. We see him praying, Y'all, if Jesus prayed so he could get to work and do the hard thing, we gotta pray so we can get to work and do the hard thing, right? right? Before the big thing you gotta do this week, before the big conversation, before the big thing you gotta think through or handle or whatever, pray. Spend time with the Lord. Lord, aim me in this. God, worship the Lord as, as your father and then ask him, Lord, your will be done. I wanna skip this because it's hard, but Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. And then, and then Lord, I, I, got, I, need, I need courage, I need strength. That's daily bread, ask him. Ask him. The second thing he did is he taught prayerfulness. He teaches prayerfulness. You gotta pray, right? This, the, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. He's teaching in the garden. God in the garden, teaching about prayer. He's like, y'all, listen, you're weak. Your flesh is weak. You, you need to pray. The spirit is willing. Pray. He taught prayerfulness. He taught you can do hard things. We say that to our kids. You can do hard things. How? It's through the strength that God supplies. It's through the strength that God supplies. The, four, the third one is Jesus chose your will be done. He chose your will be done, meaning your, meaning God. Right? He chose your will be done. And the question for us is, are, are you choosing God's will? Are you choosing his will on a daily basis? Like, Lord, my will is this, your will is this. I'm gonna choose your will every day, every day. And pray and ask the Lord what his will is for you. And then his will. And then fourthly, he said, rise, let's do this, Right? He rose resolute. He's like, my betrayer's at hand. He rose resolute. I think the feel of that moment is like, let's do this. Because he prayed. Because he was on his face. Because he was, he was sweating drops of blood. He's praying. Let's, he, and he comes out and he says, let's do this. He left the garden of Gethsemane resolute. Why? Because he prayed. What was he resolute about? Paying the penalty of our sin. The step he took toward the cross is prayer. This was the deepest sacrifice for us, but he set his heart through prayer. All right, here's the third step. It's that Jesus was arrested. Jesus was arrested. 
47 through 56. So here we go. This is the moment that uh, everything's really going to turn. 47 through 49, it starts like this. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, and with him a great crowd. That's a lot of people, a great crowd, a great crowd. And they came with swords and clubs. Who'd they come from? The chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. Judas's seedy business deal um, was already betrayal enough. But to kiss Jesus on the cheek, the sign then of friendship and welcome was cutting. And Jesus felt that. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And uh, I imagine that you're struck by Jesus's greeting to Judas, just like I am that Jesus calls him friend, blows my mind. Judas created a business deal. He saw the opportunity to get 30 pieces of silver, cheap trick, right? Get the money. I know Jesus. I know your need. And then he, the sign of kissing him on the cheek and calling him, greetings, rabbi. And Jesus' first word to him is friend. Y'all, no matter what your sin, no matter what your darkness, Jesus loves you. It's why he came. He wants you to repent and believe in him and gain forgiveness of sins and follow him. It's why he's in the garden. You notice how calm Jesus is throughout this entire passage? He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who we are. He knows how depraved we are. He knows how holy he is. The gap is enormous. And he's there and he's still calling sinners, friend. Verses 51 and 54, it says, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it be so? All right, so, so imagine this moment, okay? Jesus is praying. He says, behold, my betrayer is at hand, which means Judas and the mob are entering the garden. Verse 45, while he was still speaking, Judas came. Judas comes, kisses him on the cheek, Jesus calls him friend. So many things have just happened in like two minutes. And then one of the disciples draws a sword, swings for a guy named Malchus's head, misses his head terribly and cuts off his ear in the garden of Gethsemane. Do you realize how wild this moment is? So we know from John 18.10 that this was Peter. Impulsive Peter again, right? He says a lot, he draws his sword, right? And praise God, he is transformed and grows in his discipleship. Um, we also know that Jesus immediately healed the guard and reattached his ear, right? Like, 
There's an ear laying in the dirt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus picks it up, goes like that, and then walks over to Peter. He's like, what are you doing, man? Right? Jesus is so calm. He's healer in the garden. He's going to the cross in the garden. He's being arrested and not resisting arrest because he's going to the cross. Y'all, our Lord is awesome. He's awesome. He's doing the same things he's always done in the garden, on mission, focused as can be. Jesus is amazing. He is so calm and no one else is. Just like us. He is so calm and none of us are. We're like, I'm gonna say that or let me try this sword or let me do this. I can jump over this gap. And Jesus is like, you need the cross. You need the resurrection. He's thinking scripture. He's thinking of all the power that he has at his disposal. He's choosing not to use it. Why? Why not? So that he can sacrifice himself so that we can live. Our resolute Lord in the garden. Our resolute Lord being arrested. Our resolute Lord being denied. 55 and 56 says, at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. They're like denying him, just like he said. At no point had Jesus resisted arrest, and nor did he hear. In fact, he appeals to the scripture to help anyone there who'd have ears to hear it so that they can understand that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. For instance, passages like Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53 that are pointing, that are saying that Jesus, like, like being a lamb led to the slaughter, innocent being led to the slaughter. You just wonder if those chief priests and elders who were within earshot would have recognized that and thought about that and and just suppressed it and thought proceed. Jesus is on mission. He's focused on the word of God, what it says about his mission, and he is fulfilling it. He's the God-man here. And at this moment, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was bound and chained and his disciples fled. As the cross got closer for Jesus, our, our distance from God became more and more apparent, right? In this passage, we see it, we feel it, we relate with the mob and the deniers and uh, the sleepy in this passage. We recognize, yeah, we're so far from the Lord and I'm so thankful that the Lord stuck with it. We're so thankful that the Lord was resolute and went to the cross and paid our penalty, right? We recognize on any given day, we'd be Peter, We'd be the mob, we'd be the religious leaders. And we need to receive this passage as a member of everyone and, and not receive this passage as, as, as if we we're in the place of Jesus. The big idea today is innocent Jesus did not resist arrest because he would pay for our guilt. And we see him doing so many other things, pressing through, taking these steps so that he could get to the cross, right? Like Jesus intentionally went to the cross. No one in human history willingly went to the cross. Jesus did to pay the penalty of our sin. He knew what was coming and he knew what he would accomplish there for us, paying the penalty of our sin. And he did it. So as we close today, I want to lead us in a couple of um, reflection questions for prayer for you, just you and the Lord. And the first one is everyone needs the cross. 
everyone has an enormous gap between you and God. Everyone needs the cross, and are you placing yourself with everyone? And I just want to give you a time to confess your sin before the Lord, just fresh, right? If you confess your sin before the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness through Jesus Christ, right? You confess your sin knowing Jesus paid it on the cross, and you're forgiven, you're cleansed. It's wonderful, past, present, future. The second thing for prayer is ask the Lord, in what areas, Lord, do do you want me to do your will? In, In what areas in your life do you need to pray, Father, your will be done, and just pray it? What is it? Ask God for specifics. Jesus was so bullseye specific in this passage about his will, and we can do that too. Jesus has given that gift of prayer for us. So pray those things now. One confession and one your will be done, Lord. And uh, I'll close us in just a moment. Lord Jesus, you are so strong and so wise and so resolute, so focused, so loving, so forgiving. To see you in this passage denied, praying, denied, betrayed, healing, forgiving, scheduling future meetups after your resurrection. It's wonderful. Only the God-man could do those things, and you did. And we've beheld them this morning, Lord, as your people. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make this passage do its work in our lives as we know Jesus a little bit better now, as we know ourselves a little bit better now. Would you convict us of sin? Would you convict us of our impulses, would you transform us as you did for Peter and certainly for anyone here today who's unsaved, unforgiven. I pray, Lord, they would place their faith in you right now. They'd confess their sin. They'd confess their need for you. They'd recognize the chasm, the massive gap between you and them and that the only way to you is Jesus. They can't jump that gap. They can't act as if they don't deny you they need you. And so I pray they place their faith in you right now.
for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life with you, Lord. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for all that you're doing in this faith family. And would you continue to move us forward as disciples of you being transformed as you meet with us, walk with us. We're so grateful, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. By the power of your spirit, we pray.